firemen left to take off. brother have we started the fire yes the fire rises Welcome, citizens of Gotham to the fire rises a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world if you'd like to connect with the show you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at TFR Batpod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at tfrbatpod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined once again, and as always, by my partner in crime, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, how are you today, bud? I'm doing good, Eric. How are you doing today? Oh, you know, I'm good. It's a, uh, as we're recording, it's a... Nice warm Sunday afternoon here in Colorado Springs. So uh, yeah, um, I know winter is on the horizon. Not quite here yet. We got to get through fall, but I, I'm looking forward to spooky season. How about you? Well, it's funny you said because the last two days here in the morning, I've actually been able to turn my air conditioning off for a little bit. It's actually been on the cooler side for a change in New Jersey. So I've had that like feeling of fall the last couple of days, which has been nice because, man, for the last couple of weeks, it was like 90, 95, 100 for, uh, for like two weeks straight here. So and it was we, nice to have a little reprieve. So we have it during the during the evenings, like it gets nice and cool in the evenings, kind of has that fall feeling, but... During the day, it gets pretty, it's like, a, it's a scorcher here during the day. So yeah, looking forward to a little cooler weather, looking forward, definitely looking forward to Halloween and especially, uh, the spooky season stuff that we're planning on doing for the show, but we are nowhere near ready to talk about that yet. We have, uh, we have a very fun topic today, Joe. Um, we are here to talk about the new DC animated film. DC League of Super Pets. Now, you and I have both seen this. Uh, you took your little girl to see it, correct? Opening weekend, I think. Yes, I actually took my daughter to the the first preview screening on that Thursday, which was like 2 o'clock, which I, I lucked out. I was on my uh, weekend shift, which gives me off on Thursday. So I was able to, to go on Thursday with her. And yeah, it, I'll be honest, the... If you can make it work, those Thursday afternoon screenings are nice to see a movie that early and, and still have your day. It was especially with taking a young kid. It was it was great. Well, I, I applaud you for your dedication, because I will say, uh, unfortunately, it appears that you were one of the few DC fans that went out to support this movie opening weekend. And we're going to get into that. But yeah, um, so I went last weekend as we're recording this. Uh, so I took the teenagers in our house and I, I'll kind of discuss th the way they reacted to the film as well. But let's let's just get into it uh, really quickly, kind of um, for people who haven't seen the movie yet. We don't want to give spoilers, even though this is I mean, this is a. Uh, more aimed towards children animated film. We still, if you, if you want to get the surprises and stuff, we're going to give you a chance to get our spoiler free thoughts before we dive over and really dive into the film. So Joe, before we get into a deep dive on it, tell me just your spoiler 
carefree thoughts and opinions on League of Super Pets? I mean, honestly, it was it was more than I expected to get out of it. Uh, without you know, it wasn't like I had low expectations, but I expected it to just be a kind of you know, turn your brain off. This is a fun time. You get to see your you know, whether it be Ace or Super or uh, Crypto, you get to see the you know the the superhero pets, whatever in whatever um, way they're telling the story here. I didn't really know exactly how they were going to go with setting up the world, setting up how these pets existed, but I, I got more out of it than I expected. I I thought this movie had a lot more heart than again, that I expected or that it needed to have. I, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I think from the start, it showed me that they were willing to go to some places to make you think make you know really tug at your heartstrings a little bit and on top of that i thought the humor was great most of it to all of it really worked for me um i thought the voice cast was really fun i thought you know i mean the rock is the rock you get you get um kevin hart playing ace who is going to be my favorite from the get-go just because it's ace well well, we're we're preconditioned (laughs) yes um but i i really enjoyed it i i Again, I I don't want to sound like I was not expecting to love it, but it really was better than I expected. And I think that's the best thing that I could have asked for coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And I am a little disappointed that for whatever reason, it didn't find a huge audience, whether that be because of, you know, it's not a Pixar movie, it's not a Disney movie, and it's, you know, a DC movie that's aimed towards kids, but... I I hope that it finds more people when it hits uh, streaming. Yeah, and I, I'm sure the HBO Max aspect may may add some viewership to it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little disappointing. I think for me, it's disappointing that not as many people went to see this because it's just I thought it was delightful, honestly. Um, seeing it, and I told you, I I took the teenagers in our house to go see it, and even they, and you know how cynical teenagers can be. they had a blast with it. They thought it was very funny. Um, I heard them cracking up several times throughout the movie, especially at one certain character that we'll talk about once we uh, dive into spoilers. But yeah, it's just up and down. I, I agree with you about the voice cast. I, this is a powerhouse voice cast. I mean, when you look down the, I mean, just look down the IMDB, IMDB page on it. The names that are here, I mean, Dwayne Johnson, obviously, and, and Kevin Hart, um, but you're talking John Krasinski, Keanu Reeves, just uh, Mark Maron, uh, the list goes on and on, Kate McKinnon. Um, there's just some really, really big names, which that's also another part of, of what kind of surprises me about not the response, because the reviews and the, and the audience ratings have been fairly good for this movie. It's just it surprises me that that just these names alone didn't draw people out. It's uh-huh. it's very strange to me that we're in a day and time right now where a animated property that involves Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and and The Rock and just all of these names can't draw on the level that Minions does. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, it feels it's, like these characters are bigger than than minions. 
Well, it's so weird, too, because my first thought was people just really aren't going to the theater to see animated films right now. But then you have a movie like The Minions, which is such a, you know, an exception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Because you think, like, all right, Lightyear underperformed, so you could say, okay, Pixar is not even performing. But, yeah, the fact that, I guess, Minions just has that draw kind of throws everything for a loop there with that philosophy of, ah, people just aren't really going to the theater for, you know, animation in general. But... Yeah, it's, I mean, right now with the landscape the way it is, it's so hard to pinpoint any reason as to why any movie overperformed. I mean, you could kind of tell why a movie was going to perform well, but to see how some of these movies not even like bomb, just underperform. Like, I I wouldn't call this a bomb. It, It is borderline a bomb, but I, it's hard because, like you said, the reviews are positive. Um, word of mouth is positive, but it's just not performing like you would have expected it to. And I don't think any of us expected this to make, you know, four or 500 million, but I think we expected it to at least make a profit. Yeah. So right now, um, as we stand, if what I'm reading is correct, as, as of the time of this recording, the budget was 90 million on super pets. Now, Take that with a grain of salt because we never truly know what the budgets are. And at this point, it's made 109. So it's made its production budget back, but we're nowhere near being profitable yet. So <laughs> so um, I think so. It's interesting because last time I checked, it was only at 90. I think this had a weird rollout with overseas because I want to say it it made like 85 million domestically already. And that could be the case. And that wasn't box office mojo. That was just straight off of. uh straight off of Google, but yeah, it's it, either way you slice it. it. Yeah. Box office mojo is showing one Oh nine worldwide 58 domestic right now. Oh, uh, okay. So I had that wrong then, but um, I guess cause I saw the number so low, I assumed it was domestic, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on the, uh, the box office. It's, it's worth mentioning at least, but yeah, it's, yeah. um, it, but it, to it, your it's credit, definitely frustrating. I mean, to your credit, you just mentioned Lightyear. And it's so interesting to me that these legacy, you know, franchises um, like Super Pets with the DC superheroes and and Lightyear with the the Toy Story history is not drawing the crowd right now. So I think we're we're in a very interesting place post pandemic. It's it's very interesting for me to look at the, the box office on the weekends and see what's drawing people back out to theaters and what's not. And I, I do, I honestly think we live in a world now where certain things are just, uh, I'll just wait for streaming. Like I seriously believe there are people that are interested in certain properties, but are willing to wait that, that amount of time just to see it in the comfort of their living room. So yeah, it's, it's, I know you're like always like into like analyzing this where I just kind of take the stance of like, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think what's funny with this is that I'm not surprised that Lightyear or this underperformed. I'm just shocked at how well Minions did. Yes. And me or, too. Um, I think like that's the exception, not what should be expected. Um. And it's more fascinating to me trying to figure out why people said they needed to go to the theater for that, but not this. Yeah. You know, wait, like they didn't feel the net. They didn't feel that they could wait for streaming for that film. 
mm-hmm. which could that be the TikTok thing? I, I didn't follow that too much, but like, I think there was there's a, whole a little bunch bit of, there. I don't. I'm not going to yeah, give it I, the full credit, but I think there's a little bit. There. I don't know enough about that to say anything about it, but yeah, it's it's definitely a very interesting time with the way specifically animated features are being um, viewed right now. Because I do understand people saying, you know what, it's an animated movie. I don't need to go to the theater for that. I'll wait because we kind of just got used to waiting for things, mm-hmm. you know. But, well, but anyway, I, we'll, we'll, yeah, I think, okay. and, and this is where I'll end it with this, but I think the reason I care in this situation is because I think, um, this movie de- is deserving of attention. I think it's deserving of, of audience appeal. And I think it's a wonderful entry point for especially kids into the DC universe. And I think it's deserving of, of a sequel, which I, when you have a box office like this bring it, it makes it a very real possibility that that won't happen. So that's, that's the only reason I really care at this point about the box. Oh yeah. No. And I, I understand that as far as like, I, I want, I care as far as I want these films to perform. I just don't care to analyze why it didn't perform. Yeah. But also I, I can't fault people for saying I don't need to go to the theater for that because even though I did go, I went because it's a DC property, mm-hmm. not because I needed to see this movie. You know what I mean? I, I just felt like, you know what? I have AMC a list or whatever it's called now. I, I think that's still what it's called. It's a list. Um, I, it's not a big deal for me to go. It's is a film that I can take my daughter, which makes it easier for me. So it's a fun time to just go to the theater and see this movie. It's not necessarily the, I can't wait to see this mentality, but Again, I, I don't know. I didn't feel that way with, you know, minions and well, and <laughs> that's making, you know, bank. And I will say I, I got to see this. Um, I got lucky enough to find a viewing of this on the second weekend in uh, Cinemark XD, which is Cinemark's equivalent to like um, Dolby at AMC. And it was a great experience. I mean, the animation is beautiful in that format and that big oversized, you know, huge screen. The sound mixing in this movie is incredible. Like it's got some really, uh, I, I, the only way I can say it is it's comparable to a, a live action, big budget superhero movie. The sound is awesome, especially in that format. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a great experience in the movie theater, which is Again, a detriment for those people who are waiting to see it at home. But either way, it's enjoyable. Um, but are there any? And I, is there any like? Well, I also want to say. Okay, go ahead. I think the ninety million dollar budget is pretty reasonable for this. Like, I mean, yeah, you could probably get away with like a straight to DVD budget and maybe dial back the animation a little bit. But I also think 90 million for a theatrical release, they probably felt that was a pretty safe bet where they're not going the Pixar route where they're spending 200 million. Yeah. I mean, Lightyear had a $200 million budget. That's. And and to me, that's as beautiful as that movie is. I just actually saw it for the first time recently. Once it hit Disney plus it's a gorgeous movie, but so is super pets and they didn't spend near the amount on it. So Yeah. I think that's a little easier hit to take when you just spend 90 versus 200. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and, and you hope that they chalk it up to the weird time we're in and not because there's no interest in it, but hopefully so. But anyway, let's, let's, um let's kind of get deeper into the movie. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, I highly recommend you go do so. But at this point we are going to dive into the movie further. We're going to talk about spoilers 
So get out now if you haven't if you haven't seen the movie. Come back after you've seen it and finish the episode up. But we are going to deep dive into the movie and talk all about story points and and more voice work and stuff like that. So Joe, um, is there <laughs> were the did everything work for you in this film? Were there any nitpicks you had? I'd like to get kind of the negative out of the way first, so we can just talk positive. So let's let's start there. Any negatives you wanted to bring up about this movie? I don't know if I have necessarily any negatives. I still it's it's a shame because this is a Batman podcast and my one major nitpick is Batman's design. Yeah, I, I it's not but, the best. Yeah, that's but it didn't distract me from enjoying the movie. It's just I wish they would have just simplified his design a little bit. I felt like they they tried to go too weird. Like I can't even describe like what they were doing because everyone else's designs are really good. Um, specifically, I want to say like, I loved Wonder Woman's design in this. And now that we're over the wall, I love that. Like I thought her boots looked ridiculous, but they were awesome. And I love that they called it out. Mm-hmm. Like, stu- like it was just a fun movie. It was like Gal Gadot boots turned up to 11. It was yes, insane. And then, was it the, <laughs> um, it was one of the, the villains that said it, right? Like that's a little much. Oh, was it the, um, was it Lulu? Was it? Yeah. The, and I, I have to also apologize because it has been a while since I've seen this. I only saw it the one time the details are going to be a little fuzzy for me, especially with the names and stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess she was what a gerbil or a, <laughs> what was the joke is she's not a gerbil. She she's was a, making fun of the fact that she's a Guinea pig. She's a, she's a guinea pig and she was offended by someone calling her a gerbil, right? Well, it, they called her a gerbil. They called her a hamster. They called her everything but yes. a guinea pig. And she would get offended okay. by it every time, which yeah. was a hilarious. Which was a great guy. Yeah. 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 So, and, and Kate McKinnon, which I'll be honest with you, Kate McKinnon is not always my favorite, but I thought she was, I thought she killed it here. I thought she was very funny, um, menacing at some points, but you know, then it would it would flip and it would show you at the end of the day. Yes, this is a guinea pig. So it, <laughs> it was comical at the same time as being, you know, very effective as a as a villain mm-hmm. for this type of movie. I thought it worked really well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm with you on Batman's design. Um, eventually throughout the course of the movie, I kind of just let it go because I did like the Reeve, the Keanu Reeves voice. Um, Mm -hmm. which is another thing, you know, I'm not the world's biggest Keanu fan either, but I thought he, I thought he did great here. Um, now since then he's kind of mentioned that he would like to do a live action version of Batman and that, uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Keanu. (laughs) Um, other than, uh, other than the design. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once I kind of got over that, he, he did work for me, but it was just so weird. Like he's got a very. I don't know, chunky looking head and face and, and no, yeah, and it's very round. And then the ears are rounded a little bit too and super long or like, yeah, it's just, again, it didn't distract me or anything like that. It was just, that's the one little negative I have in a film that is just a lot of fun from beginning to end. And I, if I need to find something to complain about, I wish they would have just done something a little bit simpler. Yeah. And my only other really nitpick complaint of the movie is Mark Marin. Um, for me, and I know I'm trying to take myself out of the fact that this, or 
acknowledge the fact that this is a kid's movie and there's a different tone they're going for, but he just doesn't work as Lex Luthor for me. Um, I, there's, there's an aloofness to him as a villain, almost like a, a, a comic, comic relief mustache twirling, you know, Hmm. just goofy type villain. It almost reminds me of Gru from the, from the Despicable Me movies. And it just, Hmm. I don't know. I just didn't see or hear Lex Luthor in that. So that, that's the only other nitpick I had really is it that that part didn't work for me. Yeah. I I didn't love it or hate it. It was kind of just like um, a plot point. He was just kind of there. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't bother me. Yeah. And, and again, I understand that there's, this is a particular style that they're going for here, so I can forgive it, but just, just a slight nitpick, mm-hmm. but let's talk about, um, let's talk about some favorites, Joe. Did you have any, you had already talked about Ace. Uh, was he your favorite character in the movie? Yeah, I think, I mean, Ace was going to be my favorite from the beginning. I've said before, my dog's name is Ace. I have a little bit of attachment to Ace the Bat Hound as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure how they were going to go about introducing Ace, what his story was going to be. I didn't know if he was going to be like the jaded pet. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he isn't that. I think his backstory is the best part of the movie. Um I talked about the heart of this movie. There are two scenes that I did get choked up for, and I know I'm a softie, but man, Ace's backstory for someone that has a dog and has a baby, mm-hmm. that hit. And the Ace as a, I thought it was perfect. The Ace as a puppy scene where they show you what happened and how he ended up in a uh in a shelter, which and we're over the wall, so we can talk about it. Um Ace was was this infant toddler's dog and the toddler was was about to fall down the stairs and Ace grabbed the the baby's arm to stop him from falling and um of course when he grabbed the arm the the baby started crying parents came they noticed little bite marks on the baby's arm and that's how Ace ended up in a shelter and man, I did not expect the heartstrings to be pulled like this in a movie of this, you know, of this nature, but it did. It got me. And I think it's, and I've never had a baby, but you know, I mean, we have teenagers in the house now and, and it's, you know, I, I kind of have that sense of, I mean, I grew up 10 years older than my little brother. So I remember when he was little, so things like that, I mean, you could see where a parent would react like that. I understand that completely, but it's also heartbreaking if, as a dog lover. Oh, and if I remember correctly, they got Ace after the baby was born, correct? Yes, I think so. Um, Right around the same time, obviously, because the baby was young. And so it wasn't like Ace was established in the home and they didn't know how Ace was going to react to the baby. It was, they were very on, you know, new ground with the dog as well as the baby. And yet even after it happened, I didn't know where they were going with it. But my favorite part of it is that Ace says, I don't regret a thing. I would do it again. And I don't blame them. They were just protecting their baby. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 it's so stupid because I'm even kind of getting choked up thinking about it. Now we're talking about a super pets movie, but they, they did go out of their way to give this movie heart. 
And I don't think it needed it, but that's what made me remember this film. Because I think the other stuff, for someone like me, I haven't seen the film in, what, three weeks now? Two weeks now? And a lot of the stuff is forgetting. Like, I'm forgetting a lot of the stuff that happened in this movie. Mm -hmm. But that scene will stick with me. And one other scene in particular that I want to get to um, with my other favorite scene. But that's the stuff that sticks with me. And I I really appreciate that they did that. Yeah. And, and also, I love what, he's, what he says. And, and he's teaching Krypta a lesson in this moment. Yeah. When he, when he says, you know, when you love someone, you have to do anything that you... I, I can't remember the, ex- the exact quote, but it's when you love someone, you have to do anything. You will do anything for them, even if it means letting them go. And mm-hmm. or it's to that effect. I can't remember a hundred percent the exact yeah. quote, but I mean, I love it when a kid's movie can like go beyond it's it, what it is and be a little deeper, be a little more. And no, the plot of this movie is not it's not deep or anything like that. But there are moments like this one that we're talking about that are very you know, they're very emotional, very impactful. And I think they're teaching a lesson and I think it does, it does very well here. Yeah. And, and also like, I'm not saying this is breaking any new ground. Like Ace's message is not anything new, any, but it's, I I don't even want to say it's not anything special because I do think it's special. I think they're doing something that they don't need to do in this movie. And I, well, I don't want to say that as a crutch because I, I feel like movies should strive to have these moments in them. But there, let's be honest, most animated films don't feel they have to do stuff like this. And I, I can't say enough how much it means to me as a dog lover in a pets movie. I mean, it's a movie about pets, how they found the time to really give Ace this sympathetic backstory and also not have him. Like, I really was worried he was going to be the street tough dog that says, oh, you don't need an owner. You don't want this. You don't want that. Like, you know, that, that would have been the cliche thing to do. I feel like for Ace and they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're right. I mean, this is not, this is not a new lesson. This is nothing groundbreaking, but some of the best lessons are worth repeating. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought, I thought it was a really, really good moment. Um, One of my other favorites uh, before you get into your other one is the opening. I really love, you know, that you get the recap again of, of the destruction of Krypton. You get them putting uh, Kal-El in the, in the pod to be sent off, off planet before it, before it explodes. And you get crypto basically just defying uh, Kal-El's parents and escaping them to get into the pod with Kal-El, which is not part of the origin that you see very often. But I just loved the the as a again as a pet owner, I loved the bond between a kid and his dog, and uh, I thought it was just a very sweet moment seeing seeing crypto this little this little puppy crypto curl up with with baby Kal El as they're rocketing off towards Earth. I don't know. It, 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 there's not a there's not a huge amount of time spent on it, but it was a nice little moment for me, and I really liked it. Well, that was my other moment, so <laughs> really? you don't have to wait for me. So that's the first thing you see in the movie, and it got me from the beginning because of that. Mm-hmm. Like, again, as someone that has, you know, I have a four-year-old and I have a one-year-old, and the one-year-old tortures my poor dog. 
<laughs> yes. But my dog will do anything for that one-year-old. He's not like he can't relax if he's not around. Like if my wife takes my son out for the day, like my dog can't chill until he's home. Like he can't wait to just have everyone home so he can relax and, you know, spend time with the whole family. And to see that bond, like just imagine, you know, a baby being scared. You see how dogs react to that when you are a you know, when you are lucky enough to own a pet that is a good dog or a good animal in general, you see how they react when you're when your babies are crying or when your babies are upset. And I I have a tendency to put myself in these situations when I watch these movies. And all I could think was like, yeah, if if I'm sending my son off there, like my dog would do that. Like he's like, no, I'm not letting him go alone. He's upset. I'm gonna go protect him. And to see that like you never get to see Kal-El have someone with him to comfort him while he's taking off in the ship that adds such a cool little, you could say a side, um, like a side thing. Uh, what do you, what, I don't know what the word would be, but like it's adding to the mythos a little bit. It's, it's not in Canon to you know, mm-hmm. per se, but I think it's a cool little, you know, side canon, if you want it, if you want to believe that that could have happened, I think it's really cool. And it's really nice for Kal-El to always have someone there to protect them. Yeah, absolutely. And it also made me feel even more that, um, the Kents are absolute saints. Cause can you imagine, <laughs> I didn't even think can you that. imagine raising a super powered toddler and puppy at the same time? <laughs> You know, it's funny because they skip over that part, but you are absolutely right. That would have been. Can we get a Smallville, um, a new animated Smallville show, well, <laughs> where it's them raising the dog and and him? Well, and that's that's one of the things that that's kind of disappointing uh, in the movie is Smallville is talked about quite a bit. I mean, you know, there's this promise throughout the movie that Crypto is going to take the other pets to to Smallville to live on the farm mm-hmm. and yeah. which is wonderful that the pets end up, you know, spoilers, they end up with the justice league at the end of the movie um, as the individual pets of, of the superheroes. But I, I really wanted to see this version of Smallville. So that's, that was kind of a, a tiny bit of a letdown that we didn't get to see that, even though it had been mentioned over and over again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, so far as, you know, I, I really loved uh, Ace's backstory. I really loved the setup of Crypto and Superman and how they, you know, how they got their start together. And those are wonderful relationships throughout the movie. And I even, I, I really love Ace becoming Batman's dog, um, even though it's a very small part of the film. But I think the character that really entertained me the most in the movie was one I did not expect. And for me, that was uh, Merton McSnurdle, the turtle. Yeah, I I had to look up the name because I don't remember the name of the uh, of the pet. But yeah, the turtle is definitely the scene stealer, if you will. Oh gosh, and I couldn't tell I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be a male or a female. But Natasha Leone uh, voices uh, Merton, so we're gonna say female. Um, yeah, I assumed female. Um, but yeah, so. Just so comical. I I loved uh, just the the amount of humor that they had was was so much fun. Well, first of all, it's just ironic that a turtle gets the powers of the Flash, basically mm-hmm. the super yeah. speed, and it just adds a layer of humor to me that this turtle is blind, like cannot see <laughs> at all, but has super speed, which <laughs> to me. It, it, 
that cracked me up. And also it was surprising to me that even though it was bleeped out, I mean, the turtle was a little bit of a potty mouth in the movie too, which it was, it, it was great. I, I loved it. Were you surprised at that? Because the first time it oh, happened, yeah. my eyes kind of went wide. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're absolutely. But it was it, like there was no lead up to it. It just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> but it was so funny. And I I just thought it was hysterical. Now, they do it, what, three times? I think so. Yeah. So, like, I don't think it was overly done. I think it was perfect. Like, it wasn't like it happened every, like, 10 minutes or every time the turtle spoke. But whenever there was a moment to have this funny line where maybe the turtle was like, you know, I don't, I don't even remember what the lines were, but it was just great. Oh, they the, never harped on it. It was just kind of there. The best, the best one to me was where she takes off and, you know, she's blind. So she has no idea where she's going. And she ends up in this field, like just a random field. And she just looks around and goes, where the bleep am I? And I died. <laughs> was that the first one? That was the I second I think that one, was right? the second one. I can't remember the other, yeah. what, exactly what the other Because the first one I feel like was in the, I feel like the first one was in the pet shop when they or in the shelter when they first got their powers. Yeah. And, and the and the the resolution to her to her blind issues when I as it crypto that gives her the glasses, puts the glasses on her. Um when she gets the glasses and she looks at the other pets and she's like, You're not turtles. That killed me as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I do remember that, yes. So and I, I do have a confession. Mm-hmm. So I did take my four-year-old and my four-year-old is the worst when it comes to timing her potty breaks. Mm. So I missed like the beginning of the third act. So I have no idea what set up the final confrontation with the whole Lex. Um, there was something with Lex turning. Was it Lex? Uh, what happened? Lex actually like. So Lulu lied about what was going on. So Lulu with, uh, Lulu broke Lex out of prison because at the uh, early in the movie Lex is arrested um by the Justice yes. League and and taken to the um Oh gosh, what's the prison called? I can't even remember. Um but anyway, he's taken to this to this super meta prison. Is it Supermax? It might be Supermax. Um, but he's taken there and eventually Lulu, which is obsessed with Lex Luthor because she was a guinea pig in his lab. So she thought mm. he was, you know, her pet owner. A literal guinea pig. Yeah. Which is hysterical. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she goes to break him out because she's got these these all these wicked powers now. But he betrays her and locks her into Supermax. Yes. Okay. Which that's what kind of kicks off the third act because Lulu is now done with everything and she's just, you know, she can't even, she's, she basically tells the super pets that if she can't have happiness, then they can't either. So that's, that's, that's pretty much the, the lead into the big fight in the, in yeah. the third act. I pretty much got it. I just didn't get to see it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be something to look forward to on your, on your next viewing. Um, because it is, you know, there's, there are those people who, who love pets and, um, there are people who are not crazy about animals and then there are people who are cruel to animals. And I think you kind of, you kind of get the gambit in this movie and you see all sides, which there, you know, it's, there's a little deeper tone underneath, you know, the, the facade of this movie. And, and I think that's part of it because you know, the rock and, and Kevin Hart have a, have a pet foundation set up that proceed uh, that some of the proceeds to, I, I don't know if it's the merchandise or what, but they're going towards pets. 
So I think this was an important thing for them. A little piece of storytelling there that, yeah, some people are really awful to animals. And, you know, I think it was showing that dynamic. Some people love their pets and some people are terrible to animals. So you kind of see the gambit here. But anyway, well, uh, you mentioned merchandise. I'll get to my next big nitpick that has nothing to do with the film itself. Okay. Um, how did they not come out with new Funko Pops for these uh, super? I, I don't know. I'm so because Ace the Bad Hound, the Funko Pop, is impossible to find. They're like over hundreds of dollars to get them. Yeah. So I don't have an ace. I actually have two cryptos. I don't remember if I got one as a gift and I bought one myself or I accidentally ordered two, but I do have the original cryptos. But man, I wanted a new ace because I don't have one. And it's very frustrating that um, DC, for whatever reason, decided not to release any Funko Pops for this. Well, it might not have been DC necessarily because Funko Funko does a lot of decision making themselves over what they make and what they don't. And honestly, with some franchises such as this, it is a wait and see game. Like they wait and see how the performance does before they actually um, release, you know, Funkos. Yeah, I got it. And yeah, unfortunately, the it's not going to bode well looking at the the box office. But whatever, it's that was just a little <laughs> a little uh, rant on my part, just a disappointment. But no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one thing I did want to mention while we were still talking about uh, Merton um, and also Chip, uh, I you know I didn't even think about going into this this movie that these are these are actual DC legacy characters. Did you realize that? As far as the actors, no, no, no the the characters themselves. Like Chip is a Green Lantern in the DC continuity. Oh, yeah. So so I yes I knew. I knew Chip was a Green Lantern vaguely because mm-hmm. I've read, um, I've read Jeff Johns' run, and I want to say that um, Chip appears in that at some point. I mean, everyone appears in the Jeff Johns Green Lantern run, so uh, I'm assuming Chip was in that. If they weren't in the animated series, I don't remember. I've only seen the animated series once. I, yeah, I'm not sure, um, but um, I didn't know Merton. Was. Oh yeah, Merton has many names. Uh, Merton is Merton McSnurdle, also known as McSnurdle the Turtle and the Terrific What's It. <laughs> so what? What about PB? Um, I couldn't find anything on PB. I don't think she's. I've never heard of Wonder Woman having a pig. And what is the the significance of PB? Do you know? I don't remember. Potbelly. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. And there is actually the there is actually the pig owner knows that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there is actually a comic that began um I think they first appeared in 1962, I believe. So the Legion of Super Pets is a legacy uh DC fran- uh you know faction. Mm-hmm. So that there is, you know, they had something to to go on. But I will say, most of the uh, most of the pets on the original Legion of Super Pets, they're all Superman related. <laughs> so, oh, okay, yeah. So, it, yeah, there there was a little bit of comics precedence here for this team, uh, which is I think is neat and interesting. And we actually had some legacy characters in Crypto and Ace and um, Chip and McSnurdle. But uh, yeah, I think I think PB was a brand new creation, but she was great as well. I I thought she was she was funny. Um, I loved her obsession with superheroes. It was kind of like 
Yes. It was kind of like the comic book nerds window into this world a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. And her powers to grow and shrink and she couldn't control it was also com- I mean, it was, it was not as funny as McSnurdle, but it was pretty comical as well, especially. And she played a huge part in the finale. She did. Yeah. Um, she actually saved, uh, crypto, right? Yeah, because she grew to a larger side to catch them when they were coming off the rocket. If yes. I remember. And again, I'm glad you actually, you're kind of reminding me as things go, because I'm having trouble remembering exactly what happened with, you know, it's our own fault, but we should have probably recorded this a little sooner or waited for it to be on streaming. But uh, yeah, it was, she had a great part and she was just a huge fan of Wonder Woman, which was cool too, to see the... Uh, Yes. No. Once they finally, the, the third act was really cool. How they finally, you know, suit up and and become their own little Justice League with the Justice League. Yes. And and one thing I can't wait for my wife to see this because she hasn't seen it yet. Um, she was not. She was off on a on a military training. Um, when I took the kids to see this movie, she is a huge lover of Wonder Woman, and as you just mentioned, she's also a pig owner. We have a pot belly pig. So, and she has no idea that PB ends up Wonder Woman's pet at the end of this movie. So Uh, this is, it's just going to work wonderfully for her. So I can't wait for her to see it. So that's, that's why I kind of got quiet a little bit. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, uh, I, there is one question I had for you and we are kind of bouncing around. We're not going to go beat by beat, obviously. Uh, just kind of wanted to give you guys some, some, some open thoughts on this film, but there's a moment at the end in the big resolution of the final battle when crypto does this. uh, I can't remember what the move was called, but it was like his secret weapon. Um, But basically he goes up to the sun and charges up with the sun and comes down with this paw punch. And Mm -hmm. it is supposed to be the most devastating thing that he can do, but it also is deadly to him. Apparently. Yeah. So the, in that moment at the end, when he does this maneuver and you knew when they set it up early in the movie that it was going to happen eventually. Mm-hmm. And when he does it to attack Lulu as she's grown to this enormous size and has all these crazy, insane powers. Um, Ace actually dives in front of crypto to save crypto from the blast. Now, what I didn't get from the movie and maybe you saw it, did that did the effects of that remove Ace's powers? Because he had gained super strength and and invulnerability when he got his powers. But I couldn't tell at the end whether that the blast that he saved Crypto from took away his powers or not. Did you know? I didn't think so. Um, that's not how I took it anyway. I just took it as... Because um, Ace had like the invulnerability, so he was using himself to protect Crypto... And I, but I think even though he's invulnerable, it still hurts. So it just kind of knocked him for a loop when it happened. I didn't take it as he lost his powers though. I I could be wrong, um, but that's not how I remember it. Okay. Well, and it may not be, um, but you know, traditionally Ace doesn't have any powers. Um, So I I didn't know if that's where they were going from that. Cause you know, the blast obviously took away Lulu's powers. So I didn't mm. know if that. Oh, uh, so yeah. So maybe they were hinting at that. I don't remember. Yeah. So I don't know. 
interesting to think about though. Cause I mean, I, I do love that he ends up being becoming Batman's pet at the end. And, and we had seen it in the trailers, but the moment between those two is great. I do love that moment mm-hmm. where they're talking about their past and their tragedies and their losses. And then, you know, the crypt or uh, Ace ends up diving on Batman and just licking his face and everything. I, I love that as a pet owner and a Batman fan. It's perfection. Love it. And we have to mention one of the best gags of the film, which is a Batman gag where Batman is doing the traditional, I don't like to work with anybody that he always, you know, that's always an ongoing joke is Batman works alone, but then he names every single person he's worked with. (laughs) And that, and whoever Morgan Freeman plays. Yes. That, that was definitely my favorite line was whoever Morgan Freeman plays, but it's great because he starts naming people and then it goes off to the fight and you don't hear what he's saying. And then it comes back and you'll hear a couple more things. I I thought that was a really good gag because it kind of, it kind of played on the gag that we've seen numerous times, even in the Lego movie or the the Lego Batman movie, they kind of hinted that, but um, it, it brought a little bit newer, newer flavor to that joke, which I appreciated. Yeah, I agree. And I will say this might offend some folks. I'm not sure. I thought they did a better job of throwing back to the, um, to the classic um, John Williams Superman score and the Elfman Batman score than they did in JL 17. Just me. So I, <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause I, I still, as much as everyone talks about the, the Williams theme in JL 17. I've never been able to hear it. I don't know what it is about that. I don't know. Well, that's if it's because I don't, that's my point. Like you yeah. can't hear the it Elfman in that theme. Movie. You could hear barely. It. Yeah. The Elfman theme you can hear. Um, but in, in the, this movie, but, yeah, I, at the beginning of the movie, you get just enough of that John Williams score where you can tell yeah. that it, that's exactly what it is. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't overbear the movie or anything like that. And mm-hmm. then you hear the Elfman score as the bat, as the um, Batmobile is sliding into that building. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's yeah, and, awesome. <laughs> and even like, you know, obviously me and you were fans of the Snyder, uh, the Snyder stuff. And I, I love the, the Hans Zimmer theme, but when you're talking about a movie like this, I have no issue whatsoever with them going back to the Williams theme and the Elfman theme, because I think they just fit better with these movies. I wouldn't have minded if they kind of did both here and there, but even so, like you, I mean, you could have even played the, the man of steel theme for a laugh, like in a sad part or something. Um, you could have, but I, that, you know, I don't, I don't know how that would have gone over with people, but I, I think the Williams theme for the, the Williams theme is iconic. There's no way. Absolutely. It is the most noticeable theme almost in any, um, film, let alone just superhero films. So, I yeah I I could always appreciate well, it. Well, yeah, I would. It doesn't offend me. Well, and that's the thing with the with the general audience. I would say that those two themes are just as recognizable as Jaws and you know as yeah. Indiana Jones and any of those other classic. Uh, well, John Williams theme, Star Wars, whatever you want to bring up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no coincidence. We keep mentioning John Williams yeah. stuff. So yeah, I, I thought they were I, I thought they were very well used and not overused in the film. Because they didn't like, mm-hmm. they didn't choose to use the John Williams theme over the final fight or anything like that. So they, I thought they were well used. But anyway, um, I do want to talk just a just a tiny bit about the post credit scenes. But are, is there anything mm-hmm. else so far as the main movie itself that you'd like to bring up, Joe? 
No, I'm good. Uh, but did you say post credit scenes? Oh yeah, there's two. So I'm trying to remember if I st- was there one in mid credits. There was. So I feel like I stayed for that one, but I don't remember what it was. Okay, it's it, Lulu is found by Mercy Graves. Oh God! So okay, I I didn't see either one then, and I apologize. I wanted to watch the the post credit scene again because I only saw a clip of it. Um, again, the downside of being with my daughter, man, we got to get out of there. She, she doesn't understand sitting through the credits. Mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta teach her a little bit better. The more we go to the theater, uh, she'll get more, uh, acclimated to this stuff. But yeah, I, I kind of screw myself when I go now. Yeah. So basically the, the mid credit scene is, is, um, is crypto allowing Clark to marry Lois and then Lulu mm-hmm. who's, uh, who was like fell in a, in a, in a street vendors hot dog cart near the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. She is found by mercy graves and mercy. Basically mercy is in a power suit when she finds Lulu. Okay. That sounds familiar. Maybe I did see that. And basically she says that, you know, she's the brains behind the whole thing anyway. And that that Lulu needs to go with her versus being hung up on, on Lex. So Mm -hmm. Lulu actually does get her owner in the mid credit scene in the movie. So that was cool. And then of course the post credit scene is just a Dwayne, the rock Johnson fest <laughs> because <laughs> you have, um, Superman, uh, which is the only character in this scene, not voiced by the rock. Uh, John Krasinski, of course you have him playing in the park with crypto and his squeezy Bruce. And as, uh, crypto is going to fetch the, the toy, Another dog zooms in with super speed and takes it. And this dog we find out is Anubis and he is the pet of black Adam who lands in front of Superman. So there's this whole little back and forth and there's a funny ending where, where crypto uh, tricks Anubis into taking off to Pluto. I think it was with black Adam, but what did you think of this? Do you think this is just the rock poking the bear? again with the with black adam versus superman yeah i I don't i would assume it's just a fun thing um it might be a fun thing to think of for a sequel but i i don't really know what to think about it i think it is too much of a coincidence that black adam is coming out later this year Mm -hmm. um they were supposed to come out even closer to one another originally because it was supposed to be like april and july yeah if I remember correctly, um, I, I don't think it matters. <laughs> I think they can kind of do whatever they want from here. If they wanted to do a sequel, they can kind of ignore it or just have a little bit of a tease for it at some point. But yeah, I don't know. And I got to give you credit. Um, either is Anubis from the comics and you know that well, or you're just really good at names and remember that really well. Cause I never heard of this character. I think Anubis is a newly created character. Okay. But I just picked up on the, that he said his name was Anubis. And it, and it okay. fits with the whole Egyptian theme and all this, you know. I mean, even though Black Adam's not necessarily Egyptian, um, mm-hmm. there's there's close enough, you know. Because Kandak is obviously a creation for the DC Universe, but it's, it's, it's similar to Egypt, I would say. Um, and it looked like there's a lot of Egyptian themes in the Black Adam trailer. 
So, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, he's a he's a brand new creation, so far as I know. I can't find anything on a legacy character named Anubis, but, yeah. um, I thought I thought the conversation between Crypto and Anubis was pretty funny though. Um, where you know, crypto can't wrap his mind around the the term antihero, which I think is is, yes. is hilarious because there's been debates amongst amongst fandom with Black Adam as to mm-hmm. well, is he a hero? Is he a villain? Is he somewhere in between? And this is kind of the same conversation that Anubis and, and Crypto are having. And I think that's yeah. not I I think that's unironic. <laughs> Yeah, it could just be a really fun way to market Black Adam too. Like that's that's what it seems like. Almost po- like you said, poking fun at Black Adam, poking fun at what people are saying about it. Like because they keep saying he's an antihero, he's an antihero. Well, that sounds like a villain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I think that I think that was very tongue in cheek, and I think The Rock had a lot to do with this scene. Oh, he had to have. I don't think they're doing that without The Rock playing Black Adam. No. So. But anyway, there we are. Um, final thoughts, Joe, just to wrap us up on Super Pets. Uh, basically, same thing I started with. Um, movie's a lot of fun. Had way more heart than I expected. Uh, I can't say to people, listen, go to the movies and see it, especially now at this point. You probably only got a couple more weeks till it does reach streaming, I would hope anyway. Um if you got a minute, go to the theater and see it. But if not, please make sure you check it out when it does come to HBO Max because it's definitely worth your time. It's only like an hour and 40 minutes, I think, if that. A um, lot of fun. More heart. Uh, yeah, definitely recommend it. Just uh, whatever way you decide to do it, just please uh, check it out. And uh, if you're listening to this, hopefully you already did check it out. Not that there's really that much to spoil. I think you're pretty safe either way. But uh, yeah, just a, just a fun time. And I think it adds... It adds to the the family side of DC, which we don't get a lot of stuff. It's funny, every almost every day I'm like, all right, I want to put something on in the background with the kids in the room. And I scroll through and I'm like, all right, can't watch that. Can't watch that. Can't watch that. <laughs> so it's 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 nice to get some family stuff and, and new family stuff to watch with the kids. Yeah, and I think that's my biggest takeaway from it as well, is I love having things like this that like I said earlier, are a great entry point for kids into the DC universe. I love the fact that we have a movie that, you know, kids can get involved in, can get to know these characters and hopefully, you know, gain an attachment like we did as kids. And, you know, which I I don't know. I think, I think mine was probably the animated series. Cause the first film I saw was of course, Batman forever. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the first one you want your your tykes watching or not. Although it's not, you know, nothing offensive there. But anyway, um, yeah, I love that we have something that's that's a a starting point for for people for for younger folks to get into this world. Um, and also, I would I would say the reverse of what Joe said. I would encourage you go out and see this movie in the theaters if you can, because um, I think this is a movie that's very worthy of your support. I think a, a lot of a lot of hard work went into this. I think the voice cast again is, is phenomenal, and there's there's really good moments of, of heart in this movie, as well as I think enough uh, subtle adult humor to keep you entertained while you're there with the kids. 
So I would absolutely give a recommendation for this movie. I think everybody should check it out. And I, I'm hoping, regardless of the of the box office, I'm hoping we get more of this world. So that's that's where I am with uh, with League of Super Pets. Um, but Joe, we are not quite ready to leave yet because we have another episode of Batman the Animated Series to cover for the 30th anniversary. All right, Joe, we are ready to talk about this week's episode of Batman the Animated Series. But before we get into it, I realized, and I told you before we started recording, I forgot to give credit for the last episode we did. So last time we covered, if you're so smart, then why aren't you rich? And that one was chosen by Mr. Ryan Lauer of the Batman Book Club. So I'm sorry, Ryan, please forgive us for not mentioning you last week. I will put this one on uh, on Joe. This is Joe's fault. I'm calling it now. You, you just want to keep getting invited onto his show. So sure. Blame it on me. It's been longer for me. So that's fine. <laughs> that is, I don't know what you're talking about. That is absolutely not the reason, but um, yeah. So sorry, Ryan, but we're, we're giving you credit here. So hopefully all is forgiven, but this week we are talking about, we're going all the way back to the beginning, at least so far as production order. Because this week's episode is on Leather Wings. And this one, I will give credit here, was chosen by Michael Gallagher and Jim Bob Squarepants. So there you go, guys. This is your episode. And let's get into a little bit of a synopsis here. When a mysterious bat creature begins raiding pharmaceutical companies, the police assume Batman is responsible. Detective Harvey Bullock gets permission from Mayor Hamilton Hill to set up a specialized task force with one goal take down the Batman. However, the culprit is actually Kirk Langstrom, a scientist who has been experimenting with a formula that turns him into the Man-Bat. Batman must stop Man-Bat to save Langstrom and to clear his own name. So Joe, going back, the first ever Batman the Animated Series episode produced, what did you think about this one on a rewatch? The first thing that comes to mind on rewatch is I I can't get into the the whole order that they do on HBO Max. It's funny because we grew up with that order because that's how we watched them when they originally aired. But I guess since they've been on DVD is how I've enjoyed them for so long that I can't... This is the first episode to me. This is the pilot. This is will always be. So it's weird seeing this as episode four in HBO Max. But... Well, yeah, that's just how we're used to it at this point. Yeah. It's, a, it's funny that HBO Max chose to do it this way. Like, is that just to be different from the DVDs? Which I kind of like that they're, we have it both ways. We can go to Vudu or our Blu-rays or DVDs and see it in production order. Or we can go here and see it in the... Because this is the only way we can see it in original air order. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Um, It's funny that uh, the first time we hear Kevin Conroy's voice, he is not Batman or Bruce Wayne. He is the the pilot of the helic of the uh, blimp. That was one of my trivia pieces. Yes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you're yeah. good. Kevin Conroy <laughs> actually voices one of the uh, one of the blimp pilots. So yeah, and you could hear it. Oh, you yeah. don't. You don't even really need to be told. You could hear it. Um, but it's funny that so right yeah, from the beginning is... he was pulling double duty because you don't. I don't think yeah. you see that a ton in later episodes. No. Um. Yeah, this is a great episode. This is very interesting to start with Man Bat in the production. I 
I think I said it on the Two-Face episode. Again, this is another one of those where this was my introduction to Man Bat as a character. If it wasn't on Batman 66 or in the movies that took place prior to the animated series, as someone who didn't really read a lot of comics when I was little, this was how I learned about all these Batman villains. Mm -hmm. And to start this show with a pretty scary villain... um, this almost has the feeling of like a little mini movie with the way they do things. Uh, you know, definitely the whole, you know, uh, would the word be like dichotomy between Batman and a villain that's a bat. Um, mm-hmm. One of the stupid things that I remember about this episode that reminds me of like a cheesy 80s or 90s movie is you got the two people making out when the bat flies through. <laughs> like that is not something you see in a kid's TV show. No, no, that's true. I and I I do it like I think I just think it's fun like to to put something like that in there for no reason in a you know a Saturday morning cartoon or a, a weekday afternoon cartoon whatever it may have been I know some of these were on prime time too these had some weird time slots when they were airing yeah for but, sure so I think my biggest takeaway from this is you can tell that they were going they were trying to set a particular tone for this show mm-hmm. right off the bat. I mean, from the beginning, they chose, you know, kind of a dark, sinister uh, story plot in this Jekyll and Hyde, Wolfman type story. And mm-hmm. that's uh, that's something I really enjoyed about this episode. I, I love the dark tone. I love that from the beginning they were they were saying this is not your your normal Saturday morning kids cartoon. Uh, we're going to tell darker, deeper stories and not talk down to children, I guess. So, so that's mm-hmm. something that I really appreciate about this episode. And I will also say that I really, really love the transformation of Langstrom in this episode. Yeah. That is some, I mean, it's well animated and it's, it's honestly terrifying. Like they do a great job of just giving this grotesque look to the transformation that is, is quite, I can imagine like if, if the, depending on the kid, this could really be creepy for a little kid watching this episode. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. There was <laughs> my, the one huge nitpick that I have of this episode. And it's something that they didn't do later in the series. And I'm so glad of, but when Bullock, you know, orders his team to, to, to go in and get Batman, when they come off of this transport, his team is going, hut, 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 hut. and it was so goofy. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That's oh funny. my gosh. It is the goofiest thing. And I remembered. So when the, so when the, um, you remember when the animated series Blu-ray set came out that had the, the Funkos with them and all that, the, the nice fancy Blu-ray set. Yeah. Um, when that set came out, I had pre-ordered it and I got it that day. And of course, first thing I did was pop in the first disc and, um, I was living, I was not married at the time. I was with a living with a roommate who's a really good friend of mine. And I pop it in and we're watching the episode. And uh, he, I don't know that he had ever really watched the animated series, maybe here and there. But we're watching that on Leather Wings. And when these guys come out of that transport and they do that, hut, 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 he looked at me and he said, this is the show that, that you've 
talked about so much. <laughs> and I was like, look, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't detract from it that much just because of that one little scene. Yeah. yeah I said, don't look, you got to watch more than just this. But, but outside of that, this episode is great. It's fantastic. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I also wanted to point out, I don't know. They seem to have changed direction on where they wanted to go with Bullock from this episode going forward. Mm-hmm. He was very much Brandon from Batman year one in this episode and his, t- yeah. and his team, it was like Brandon and his team of, of basically the SWAT team that Brandon had in year one. They even kind of mm-hmm. dressed kind of similar. Yeah. So it's so, sh- I mean, he always, yeah, they definitely just dialed it back a little bit. Cause he, he always had the anti Batman, aspect to him but not this dressed well he was all, also almost anti-gordon in this episode too yeah that's true i mean it, you could tell a lot of things changed from this episode i mean even the one thing we got to mention too is it's it's a different voice for alfred yes yeah which is weird it's weird hearing a different voice so this is clive revel yep um that does the voice and, and that's a, that's a he did three episodes of the show Mm-hmm. And then um, Ephraim Zimbalis Jr. took over, and he was Alfred throughout the rest of the DCAU. But I don't think I realized that Clive Revel did that many. Yeah, he did the first three episodes. Okay. And it's, I do wish we could hear that traditional Alfred voice in it. Cause it is, mm-hmm. at first, it kind of throws you off when you hear this different voice. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get over it pretty quickly, but it's, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't do a bad job. It's just we're used to the other Alfred. Yeah. So also that so that was one of my other trivia points was the different Alfred voice. The only other one I have here is this is I think this is the only episode uh, where you get to see Bat- Batman's full drive in the Batmobile from the Batcave to Gotham. Oh wow. Yeah, I saw some someone had pointed this out and when I was doing research for this for the episode and you know it's it's something you saw all the time in like the 66 show and and you even see the yeah. drive in um Batman 89 but you don't see it a lot in the episodes going forward. But there's also a a ton of the Elfman-ish score in this episode. So mm-hmm. I wonder how close they were trying to lean towards Batman 89. For, for this particular, for starting the show. Well, yeah, because they wanted to get the eyes on the show, too. So let's find ways to um, familiarity for people. Like, oh, the Elfman score. Like, oh, that, you know, that music. I recognize that music. Or um, see the drive. You know, maybe the drive was going to be like a stock animation where they thought, hey, maybe we'll use this in every episode. And then they were like, no, nah, we don't really need to do that. That might be cheesy. They might have kind of changed it up after that. Uh, it's always interesting to see how, you know, like it would be the equivalent of like a, a sitcom pilot or something and and things change because you change it up. Even even something as simple as like they introduced Harvey Dent in the first episode. Mm-hmm. I, I do not remember them doing that. But yeah, Harvey Dent was there from from day one. So they they did a lot of uh, they did a lot of world building throughout this show, and it's appreciated. And I think that's why it's stood the test of time. And I I have to correct myself. So the order on HBO Max isn't even the correct air order. 
Oh, geez. So I, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like an amalgamation because if you go in regular airing order, it's completely like, <laughs> cause it aired originally according to IMDb. And I think it was even aired differently in different areas. Like in New York, it might've had different air times than say Chicago, like whatever the networks decided to show. But on IMDb, September 5th was the cat in the claw part one. Then September 6th was on leather wings. <laughs> and then September 7th was heart of ice. September 8th was feet of clay part one. Oh, geez. <laughs> so like the original. So if you go by this airing, whatever area this was that had this airing, which might've been New York, I don't know. Um, I do remember there being some weird airing uh, issues because I do remember hearing about Cat and the Claw. Like you didn't get part two of that for a while. So I think HBO Max finds that like happy medium ground of like, okay, we're going to start with the Cat and the Claw, but put part two as episode two. So people know what they're watching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's it's pretty interesting. That's why I, I think that's just why I prefer the production order. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, but yeah, I... I think this is a great episode and uh, I really enjoyed revisiting it, but there we are uh, on leather wings. So next time we have already done the randomizer. We have chosen our next episode and it will be the man who killed Batman. So it's been a while, Joe, since we've had a Joker episode, but we're back with the Joker. What do you remember about this one? This is the one where like it's a random guy that claims he killed uh, Batman, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't watched this one in a while, so it'll be nice to, to revisit this one. It's one of the ones that feature the Joker that I don't remember as well, mm -hmm. but it'll be nice to see a Joker episode because you said it's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's also one that was on my top five list, so... Oh, I don't remember that you picked this as your top I, five. This wow. was, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about where next next time, but yeah. So that's something to look forward to for next time. Make sure you watch the man who killed Batman for our next episode. But Joe, we have one more thing to do before we sign off today. We actually got an email from a listener, and we wanted to make sure we we read that email and answered him. So this is from Mead Adams, and I apologize if I mispronounced your name. Uh, but Mead writes, Hey guys, love the podcast. Had some comments on The Dark Knight Rises and really the whole trilogy. As a movie, I really like it. There's definitely room for nitpicks. My main one being there's not a lot of Batman screen time. But I definitely like it more than others. My biggest issue with this movie and the whole trilogy is I just can't get behind Nolan's take that from day one in Batman Begins, Bruce is trying to retire. In the whole trilogy, he's effectively Batman for only two years and then is fine just retiring. I'm sorry, my Batman is obsessed and needs Batman to survive. Saving Gotham is only part of Batman's obsession. The main part is that he needs Batman to stay sane. That's just me. Thanks for all you do. Oh, and then it says John at the bottom. So I apologize, John. Uh, your email header says Meet Adams. So apparently it's John. So thank you for the email, John. Uh, we really appreciate you listening, first of all, and we greatly appreciate you reaching out. Um, yeah, so th this is, you, you make good points, and there are also points that have been, you know, that 
with the Dark Knight Rises, these are points that came up quite a bit when discussing this film. And I think as we covered last time when we talked about the Dark Knight Rises, just points that seem to come up more and more as the film ages. So, Joe, um, some thoughts on John's points here. Um, the, the fact that he was only Batman for essentially two years, um, that he didn't have the, the obsession that our, that our normal Batman has with, you know, staying Batman, saving Gotham, that kind of thing. What, what, are, what are some thoughts on, on John's thoughts here? Well, thank you, John, for the email. And uh, yeah, it, it, again, like, like Eric said, it's not anything that like, you're not alone with any of these thoughts. There are plenty of people that share these thoughts. And I think even for me, if this was like a comic story or something like that, I, yeah, I wouldn't want necessarily Batman to have this mentality in the comics, but I, I think it just goes to that whole adaptation angle where Nolan was telling this story. And I think Nolan, um, whether it be for good or for bad, for me personally, I would say this was a smart decision. He wanted a beginning, a middle and an end, and he didn't want any room outside of that for the most part. Mm-hmm. So to him, and he set this up in the first one. I think you mentioned this on our Dark Knight Rises episode, Eric, where you said basically like all this stuff was set up in the first movie, but people didn't seem to have problems with it until the third movie. Right. Whether it be the realism or, you know, like Batman having an end game, all this stuff was always there. And I'm not even saying that John is saying that it's bad just because of the third one, because it's. I mean, John made it clear that it was just not his thing for for Batman in general. Like he said, Batman had an endgame. It was to save Gotham and he would prefer Batman needing to be Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, it, It's never something that has bothered me. I like having the beginning, middle and end of the story. And I like that this was something we had never really gotten before because this isn't really a story you could tell in comics. Comics have to keep going. Mm-hmm. And at the time of this, we didn't get a lot of ending stories in Batman, or I feel like now we've gotten kind of those, you know, Tom King, like I know Jamie always jokes about Tom King ends Batman at least like once a month now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I appreciated what we got from this story because, you know, Batman gets the happy ending and it's a different mission for him. It's, you know, dare I say a realistic mission. He had an end game. He had a thought of what he wanted to do. And I, as much as I do prefer Batman in the comics to have this, you know, need to be Batman, I think it works better for this in a film to give us something different. And I don't even think there's anything wrong with you having that preference. As long as, you know, I hope for people to not let that uh, hurt their love for a movie because it's not what they wanted. And you, I've always felt that I need to try to separate the two of what I want and what I can appreciate despite what I might've wanted. Cause I say it all the time. BVS is not the film I wanted, but I've grown to love that film so much because it was so much different than what I expected it to be. But I came out of that film after the first viewing and thought, what was that? Like that was so different than what I expected or what I wanted. But you, you know, once you start judging these films on what they are and not what your expectations would be, sometimes it's easier to, to really appreciate these things. And with Dark Knight Rises, I was lucky enough to love it from day one and had to try to fight off <laughs> the negativity after that. But uh, yeah, it's again, it's it's a different take. And I, I can appreciate that someone might not care for it as much, but it's never really bothered me. 
Right. And you have to, I think, I think you have to be open to a different storyteller's perspective. Um, and it's one of those things where you can't let speculation become expectation or you're doomed not to enjoy the movie. Um, and I'm not saying John, that's what you did. Cause I, I will, I will say this to your point. If it's in continuity, Batman that, that I read monthly or, or, you know, that, that ongoing story. Absolutely. I don't want that Batman to want out from day one, you know, because obviously then we wouldn't get more Batman stories. You know, I, I love my, my regular continuity Batman to, to have this never ending mission against crime and to protect the streets of Gotham and to avenge his parents. Absolutely. That's what I want all the time with my in continuity Batman. But I have always, and and people who've been listening to this show for any length of time have probably heard me say this. Any film that comes out of DC, I always consider Elseworld tales. They're out of continuity. They don't affect my monthly Batman that, that I read or anything like that. They are, in essence, black label stories. They are contained um, and, and they don't affect the, the, the way I read Batman. Um, but they're stories that I enjoy nonetheless. So I take all of these at, you know, I take them, I guess with a grain of salt, as in this is a contained story. And like you said, Joe, I love the fact that Nolan created a beginning, a middle and an end for Batman. Cause we don't get that in the comics obviously, because we need, again, Batman to go on and continue. But it's nice to have a set of three films that I can go in and get a complete Batman story. So yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at with it. And of course, I mean, like you said, and I, I kind of addressed it on the last episode, the length of time that Bruce was Batman in this story is because of Nolan's realistic take on the character. It's no realistic human being could withstand what Batman withstands. So with this black label Elseworlds take on Batman, I appreciate the fact that he gave us a realistic story with a three-part structure and we get a, we get a Batman story we can enjoy and sit down and watch in three parts and be done. And then, and then, you know, dive back into our continuity Batman. So I get, I mean, and that's just my perspective. That's kind of Joe's perspective, but we completely understand the other side. So thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. And not, not to get into a whole tangent here or just really this could go on for a while, but it's hard in a cinematic universe where you're starting out to even tell a longer story. I mean, even look at Iron Man. Let's say Iron Man started in 2008. He dies in 2000. Technically, he dies in 2023, but he was only Iron Man for 10 years because he took a break for five years while everything was going on. Right. So, and that's a long one. Like, how long was Captain America Captain America? Same type of thing. You know, like, he was frozen. He comes out. <laughs> like, there's... These are stories that are applauded for, for having long-running stories, but they're still not their superheroes for, you know, 20 years, 30 years. Yeah. And then you look at, that's why I love the variety of what we're getting because, and I'm not even saying that as a negative to them. I'm just kind of putting it into perspective. That's why I love like PVS. It's like, okay, we're not going to be able to tell this long story. So let's just get Batman off and running. He's already been Batman for 20 years. Mm -hmm. That's 
you have to try to, you know, find what kind of story you want to tell. Well, and, and even and, the 20 year veteran Batman we got, we didn't see those 20 years. So exactly. So like, there's no way to show 20 years worth of history. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do montages in every movie? You're going to have eighties Rocky montages in, in every movie just to show like all these, um, these, you know, adventures they've been on, but it's, it's hard. And so you, you got to kind of just grade these films on what we're seeing and not what we're not seeing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, exactly. Again, it, I'm not even saying that as a criticism, it's just, we're lucky we get the variety and, you know, we have the comics still to show those things that we love so much, but just kind of enjoy the films for what they are. Yep, absolutely. But thank you so much, John. We really appreciate your message. Uh, and we we're thankful to have you as a listener. We're, we're looking forward to hopefully hearing from you again, but Joe, that's kind of where we're going to wrap it up for the day. That's a, uh, that's a, it's a good amount of time we've spent talking about super pets and the animated series. And we're looking forward to doing it all again next time. But until then, Joe, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you out there on social media? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as jforn11. And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornerato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. And I'll be, uh, yeah, I'll be in the Real Fans groups, and we're getting close to that spooky season. I think we're all itching to start that a little sooner, <laughs> but uh, we're trying to hold off till September 1st. We are, yep. Absolutely, we are. And thank you again, Joe, for, for coming on and being my co-host. Yeah, this was fun. All right. So, so far as myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram and Twitter and Letterboxd at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. If you'd like to send us an email like John did, we will absolutely read those on the show. You can reach us there at TFRBatPod at Gmail. If you would, take a moment out of your day to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or leave us a star rating on Spotify. They greatly help the show. They help other people find us. And if you leave one of those written reviews, we will also read it on the show. But that will do it for this episode. We thank you so much for listening. And until next time, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery or its properties. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies or organizations that they are associated with. Thank you for listening. So, you are a dog. I am the Batman. I'm not really great with animals. Yeah, I'm not really great with people. Probably because of my traumatic puppyhood. As a child, my family was taken from me. As a puppy, I was taken from my family. So I steal myself. My emotions always in check. No one one ever ever getting past my impenetrable defenses. Ah, what the heck? (laughs) That can't be sanitary. 
every day. Me and Suits hang out. You literally worship the ground that dude walks on. Technically, he flies. Batman works alone, except for Robin. And Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, my IT crew, whoever Morgan Freeman played. What do I have here? <gasps> Squeezy Bruce! Squeezy what? That better be a licensed toy or I will freak out. Lost my synopsis. I have to edit this. One hour three Okay, so when a mysterious bat creature begins raiding pharmaceutical companies, the police assume Batman is responsible. Detective Harley Bullock. Okay, I'm going to start this over because I just said Harley Bullock. And I was also talking over you. (laughs) I was doing the Jeopardy theme while you were talking. (laughs) Okay.